Freddy's home. You want to know who Fred Krueger was? He was a filthy child murderer who killed at least 20 kids in the neighborhood. He wears a dirty brown hat. He's horribly burned. He has razors on his right hand. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs. They burned him to death in his boiler room. And they hid the remains. But he can't get you now. He's dead, honey, because mommy killed him. When I was alive, I might have been a little naughty. But after they killed me, I became something much, much worse. This is now playing a Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective series. Welcome to Freddy 101. Hosted by Arnie, Stuart, and Brock. Twisted, lonely souls. The worst of the criminally insane. We got special work to do here, you and me. We will be reviewing all Freddy's films from Wes Craven's original through 2010's hotly anticipated remake. Who is that? But beware. These discussions will be spoiler-filled and may contain harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. You can find new episodes of this series released every week at nowplayingpodcast.com. Today we're talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street, starring Jackie Earl Haley, Kyle Gallner, Rooney Mara, Katie Cassidy, Thomas Decker, and Kellen Lutz, directed by Samuel Bayer. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart, I'm in L.A. This is Arnie. I saw a midnight showing of this, so if I start micro-napping during the podcast, please forgive me. It's very <laughs> likely to happen, as tired as I am. <laughs> and before we start anything else, if you have not seen the new movie, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the one that was released this weekend, thank you for downloading us. But please, press stop now, because we are going to spoil this thing up the wazoo. Go see the movie, though. Go see the movie, and then Go come back. Go see the movie, come back, and listen to us. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to preview the end. Go see the movie. <laughs> okay. So here we are, folks. This is the one we're waiting for, the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. We should probably talk about first, Arnie mentioned a second ago, about he saw a midnight show. I was the oldest person there. I felt like grandpa at 35 years old. I really felt out of place there. I'm really, I really thought this would be my generation's movie because we grew up with Freddy. No, it was a bunch of college kids and the girls in front of me were all like, I don't know who this Freddy is. Mm. And it was about three quarters full at a midnight show. So I, I don't think this is going to do Friday the 13th numbers. Interesting. I saw this in a matinee, 10 a.m. this morning. I wanted to get the first show, and so I'd have some time to think about it before we recorded. And I would say that it was sparsely populated, but I attribute a lot of that to it being 10 in the morning. It's not a 10 in the morning, wake up and run to see Nightmare on Elm Street kind of movie. It was an enhanced theater. What made me mad was that they were selling higher ticket prices than they were for all the other shows because it was in a theater with better sounds. It was essentially an IMAX theater, but not an IMAX print. Arnie, why don't we start with a plot summary? It's Springwood, Ohio, 
and a dream stalker is killing teenagers. The dream stalker's name is Freddy Krueger. He used to be the groundskeeper gardener at a preschool where he molested the children. The parents found out and burned him alive in a boiler room. Now he comes back and haunts the dreams of Nancy and all her Springwood friends. Have you seen the first one? You know the plot of this movie. But instead of Rod and Tina, we have Chris and Jesse. And instead of Glenn, we have Quentin. And then we also have Dean thrown in just to up the body count to full. The plot is the plot. The movie starts in a dream. And now I've watched the trailers of this. I was shocked that this movie opened in a dream because I really thought that this movie was going to go the way of Halloween's remake, the Rob Zombie one, because in the trailers you get to see Freddy as a human running and chased. I really thought in in all our previous podcasts, we talked about seeing Freddy alive. No, it's a lot like the very first movie, only instead of starting with Tina's dream. Here we're starting with Dean's dream and he is in a diner. It was a very interesting way to open this movie. What was it, like 10 minutes before they actually opened the title card on there, too? It was really interesting. It was. It was a good way to start us off. You know, let's face it, most horror audience comes in with a bloodlust. They want that early kill, and it was a way to give it to them. And it was a really good dream sequence. And I like the fact that this was a big thing in the trailers. I honestly thought this Dean guy was one of the stars, because he's in every freaking trailer. And so since I'm seeing this, A, it's gotten out maybe 30% of what I've seen in all the trailers out of the way already, and B, it already has fucked with my expectations because they killed the guy who I thought was the star. Well, two things here. They're not, they didn't just in, introduce Dean. They introduced every major character here. Not only is there a Dean guy who, who cares, but Nancy is a waitress that works at the diner. She's also waiting tables on Quentin and Jesse and some other dude we never see again. And Chris, who is the ex of Jesse, also enters the diner because Dean has called her because he's having these nightmares. And Jesse is concerned that, you know, he's... He wishes he could have Jesse's girl. I don't know. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. uh, Artie, I haven't seen the previews and I haven't seen any commercials, maybe one commercial, because as you all know, I try to go as blind as possible into these things, especially if we're reviewing them. But when Chris walks in the diner, the lingering shot on her told me she was the lead of the movie. Oh, totally. And let, let, we'll, we'll get to this right now. She should have been. Yes. I thought she was. I thought she was Nancy. When I saw that the dowdy waitress was Nancy, I'm like, oh, they just threw a Nancy in there as a reference. But the star is Chris. Chris had presence. Chris had poise. She captured me every time she was on screen. And she's also gorgeous. And that also didn't hurt. And and she also has been in a lot of the trailers. This scene from A Later Dream where all the students around her blow into ash mm-hmm. was in all the trailers. And Nancy is, again, terrible in this movie. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Just, oh, God, she her deliveries, her lack of presence, just a miserable, miserable performance by our lead actress. In this opening scene with all the people being introduced... In my mind, while I'm watching this, I'm saying to myself, okay, this is some of the best acting we've seen in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. These kids are actually listening and reacting, and it instantly got me into what was going on in this movie. I had no problem with any performance. I definitely didn't think the blonde was going to be the star of the movie, I, and, and that was just 
a given. I mean, you remember what happened to the blonde in the first one. I mean, I just assumed they were going to do the same thing. And they did, though. And but they did. We said when we reviewed the first one, we all could see how people would think Tina was the star. Well, they got me this time. I thought Chris was the star. Yeah, I was hoping. Anyway. But, but speaking <laughs> to the death, you guys were really into the death. I think this death actually is the best rendered death in the entire movie. Basically, what we see Dean do is take a steak knife and against his own will, goaded by Freddy in his dream, he's fallen asleep at the table, he takes it totally across his throat and decapitates himself and spurts, and that jumps right to the title sequence. That's the, that's the gotcha moment that gets you into the movie. And it's actually, there's a lot of CGI in this movie, and we're going to talk about what I don't like about most of the CGI later, but in this moment, in this scene here, I actually thought it looked very realistic, and I thought it was very icky and and shocking and yeah i I knew dean was going to get it but i didn't think it would be that vivid yeah it was brutal it was just brutal and great i'm like all right you have now thrown down the gauntlet and said here we are i liked it and it was just brutal the way that it it lingered on that shot i I, it just great i loved it too i thought it was really well done what i love the most about it was that we saw the death from Chris's perspective. We didn't see him die in the dream and then see the body slump over. We saw him die in real life and see what they saw him do. And I thought that was awesome. And it was, it added to me, it added to the brutality of it. But it wasn't so brutal that it made me uncomfortable. And it was really a great way to start this movie off. I really liked it. And from there we get, you know, the title and we go straight to a funeral. And, you know, again, I'm really reminded of the first one. Let me say off the bat, though, something bothered me with this is in the diner scene, it started with Dean already talking about Freddy. And at the graveyard, everybody's having these Freddy dreams already. Didn't Did this feel accelerated to you guys? Like, I liked how in the first one, there was a slow build. Everybody was having the nightmares, but they weren't really talking about them. And here immediately, just at the graveyard, it, it was like halfway through part four where they're all just like, yep, Freddy's going to kill I was disappointed in this movie. I don't think it was that great. I I, I have an overwhelming ambivalence to a lot of it. So... Well, I disagree, Stuart, in that I liked this movie, but I feel it had some flaws, and one of the big flaws was this pacing problem. The whole thing felt so accelerated that we were like thrust into the middle we got no chance to know these characters before they're already battling freddy i liked the accelerated pacing and i thought it because it's 2010 one of my big complaints about a lot of these movies is that if someone just talked about this whole thing maybe we could figure out how way to stop it sooner and i'm so glad people have common sense to talk to each other about this sooner i i liked it for the most part too but i have some big problems with it as well i don't think my problem was with the pacing my problem was with the whole gps the orientation of the movie i think it was a total mistake to focus from the kids point of view in an identical fashion to what they did in the first movie i really thought with the reboot there was a chance to tell a different angle of the story. And I there's so much that I wanted out of this movie that it didn't give me. And I try to I, I try not to judge the movie. I try to accept it for what it is. But man, did we really need it a whole mystery about who's Freddy Krueger and all the kids figuring it out and it taking this long? 
the pacing is is both accelerated and it takes too long for the story to get going. I mean, the, it's accelerated because we all know the story. I mean, particularly us. We've been following all these movies. Couldn't we have started in the past? Couldn't we have started with Kruger? Couldn't we have started in the preschool? I I just don't know why why they would make it the same, the exact same. What's the point? Well, again, as I said, there was the girl in front of me in the theater who said she didn't know Freddy. They're trying to bring it to a new audience. Let, let's face it. Freddy was big in the 80s. And, you know, the people who went to see horror movies in the 80s have now grown up, had kids of their own, and don't go to theaters as much anymore unless it's family fair. They need to capture a new audience. In the past 20 years, we've had exactly two Freddy films. And no matter who you ask, they're going to say one of them sucked. Freddy versus Jason or Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I don't think anyone liked both. So we've got 25 years since Freddy's heyday. They needed to start over and appeal to this audience who's like, I've heard of Freddy. I don't know anything about Freddy. And I want to like a horror movie. And, okay. you know, and in the movie, the girl, uh, uh, next scene after the funeral, the girl goes to the attic and she goes to boxes and says, first grade, 1996. And that's exactly what Arnie's talking about. This is this character, just like the people in real life, have no idea what the hell is going on with this guy. And I couldn't, I felt, you felt old in the theater, Arnie. I felt old in the first grade, 1996. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, that's when I graduated college. I, 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 come I, on, man. <laughs> I got a tip for you. Why don't you download the original onto your iPhone and watch it? Because <laughs> I, I just – I don't accept the fact that because it's so old, we have to do everything the same that it was done originally because they don't know what it is. That, to me, seems pandering. But – isn't that what a remake is? I mean, everybody uses this term reboot. It's a new term. The term remake has been around forever. And that's when you take a movie that was old and tell pretty much the same movie again, modernized. And that's what this is. This is a remake. Correct. I think I wanted a reboot. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I was surprised how much of a remake this was. But yet it's it's different in a lot of ways. But re showing of so much of the original's iconic scenes it's just replete with it i know we're going scene by scene so i'm not gonna uh rattle them off but i feel like most of the quote-unquote scares in the movie are things that were already shot and maybe that's why I, i'm so pro dean's throat slit is that was the one thing that they did very very well that i didn't necessarily see coming that was not a part of any previous movie. We got the funeral and they steal the scare from Carrie with the hand coming out of the grave. But that got me, too. I liked it. it was I good. liked it, too. I liked the little girl at the thing. I thought the little girl was creepy. I thought that was good. I like that we know the little girl is now Chris. We finally right. get to meet this blonde. We, she's been staring at us for eight films. <laughs> and we're also introduced to the parents here. And I don't know the actress who played Nancy's mother from anything. Connie Britton. She's in Spin City. She is in Friday Night Lights right now. She's been working for quite some time. Who I knew was Quentin's father, played by Clancy Brown. I know him best from Carnival, but he's also Lieutenant Zim from Starship Troopers. Shawshank Redemption, my friend. I got a question for you. Is he a guidance counselor at the high school or is he the big guy? Is he the principal? 
I thought he was the thought, guidance counselor. I, I thought he was a teacher. Okay, so we okay, agree. We, it is not clearly established, <laughs> but he is a figure of authority in the school as well as being Quentin's father. Correct. Yes. Okay. But that serves no purpose whatsoever because actually when I saw him in the school hallway, I'm like, why is Quentin's dad at the high school? When, she, yeah. when he offered at the funeral just to talk to Nancy if she needed to talk to somebody or whatever, I'm like, why would she talk to him? There's well, no basis for that. Well, here's the difference between what the movie I thought I was seeing and now the movie reflecting on the movie that it was. I thought that we would learn that this was the therapist that had talked to all of the children from the preschool where Freddie had worked and that he had been the one to help them repress what had happened to them. You could have gotten that from that scene. It's, it, you didn't know. Any no, of it. no, of course. But I'm, you know, I know Nightmare on Elm Street. I know where this is heading. I know what's happened. I can okay. anticipate all of that. And yeah. what I suspect is that this director and, you know, my big problem with this movie is the pacing because I felt everything was so accelerated. I bet this director turned in a 120 minute cut because I'd heard about some poor test screenings and things not going too well. I bet you're right because that makes a hell of a lot of sense. When Nancy's mother calls Clancy Brown and says she's starting to remember and his saying, talk to me and all of this and his role in Freddy's death later, that makes a lot of sense. I bet you just hit the nail on the head. I bet he was. And I bet that those scenes, along with many others that would let us get to know these characters as something other than lambs for the slaughter, were cut. I think of all the Freddy movies we've watched, I think that first diner scene gives us you know, it's better written and better performed than that stupid graduation scene in that one movie we saw when everyone decides, you know, stock character crap. Thank you. But the, the I knew you catch it. Um, it's just I, I felt more like I knew the characters enough for what I needed here. I didn't feel like they were all so bland, as you're calling it. I thought that first scene gave me enough to go on, and then after that, they built on with the kid comes to the window in Chris's house, etc., etc., etc. I didn't even get that they knew each other. When Jesse goes to Nancy for help, I'm like, they're friends? They know each other? It's like, Nancy's who we talk to? Nancy is the mousy girl. Why but is... Nancy, Nancy said something that she knew what was going on in the dream or something. Didn't, didn't he give her a clue that she knew what was going on with the dreams? Yeah, she said, you don't know what I've seen, or something lame like that. But, but... He, he, that's, that's but that's the connection. But the, well, the connection is they establish in the very first scene they all hang out there, and she is their weekend waitress. But they kind of treat her like shit. I mean, no, Jesse treats her like shit, and Quentin can't get up the nerve to ask her. Right, Jesse and nameless friend number three stiffer on the check. Yes. And then Quentin needs to step up and pay their tab. So that's why I'm kind of like they don't really like her all that much is they don't even pay their bill. The guy was pissed off at the girl hanging out with Dean. So he ran out and, yeah, he was a jerk about it. But that was all about the whole whatever they were doing. This this comes to our dissonance here, Brock. You th got more out of the scene than I did. Given that they were sitting away from each other and everything, I thought there were two different cliques. I honestly thought there were the cool kids who consisted of Dean and Chris, and then I thought there were these stoner skaters who were Quentin and Jesse and Nameless Boy number three. Jesse broke up with Chris, and that's why he's pissed off. Yes, I understand that's a dropped line, and uh, it's in there, but it... And 
I think we can get. I think we can all agree that their connection in their whole history is very vague. I yeah. mean, I think what we're saying is, even though they have characters that tell us what their relationship is to each other, we don't get that feeling from seeing them interact. Thank you, Stuart. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah, they don't feel like people that have known each other since grade school, and indeed, they don't collectively remember first meeting in grade school. Right. And furthermore, I didn't even get they were in high school until they actually went to school. I, I Everyone looks so much older, especially Chris. The high schoolers always look like they're about ready to start a 401k in these movies. Yeah, so I of course they, they do. Well, some one. do and some don't. I mean, I think Quentin has a boyish look and then Dean looks 10 years older. I'm like, you were in the same kindergarten? Like, <laughs> how is that? Someone got a growth spurt. That's all I know. But Then we get Chris having some nice dreams. She's the little blonde girl. We get her in the classroom and I was happy they weren't discussing dreams and Bob Shea wasn't teaching. Yeah, I was surprised at the lack of metaphorical connection between the class lecture and a dream yes. killer. You know, nothing about Aristotle, nothing about no dream Frankenstein. Yeah, yes. nothing like that. Yes, <laughs> it was, We've had classroom scenes before in horror movies, and this one, yeah, they were talking about uh, Pericles. I'm like, I, I'm not going to try and find the connection between <laughs> Pericles and Freddy Krueger. If there's one, I prefer to remain ignorant. And I thought this was a great dream sequence in here the kids exploding with some great cgi it was just a great imagery we know this director from his music videos smells like teen spirit and no rain from blind melon you know the one hit wonder from the 90s with the little bee girl and so i expected some cool imagery and this scene i think is one of the ones that delivered the most just on surreal dreaminess were these exploding students leaving her alone and Freddy there in the classroom. You Arnie. saw that scene in the commercial or the preview you said? Yes. The, okay, I hadn't seen that at all. And let me tell you how effective that was. It was awesome. It was an amazing image. I was, oh, I would just instantly transport it into that scene. Fantastic image. Okay, see, Arnie, I've known you all my life. You're my oldest friend, but this is where I always feel the difference between you and I. I don't like that. I thought <laughs> it was cheap. I thought the CGI in this was really devaluing, and I thought, how much better was the scene in the original Grindhouse-looking movie where the girl falls asleep in class? I mean, it was Nancy in that one that falls asleep in class. I mean, it's just so much better when you don't have that trick CGI effects. I just think that's so bad. I was I I don't like it, and I bumped up against it many times in this movie. I much prefer the practical, original, cheapo effects to this high gloss CGI. I just don't I just don't like it. I know there's a whole school of thinking that agrees with you, Stuart. There's a lot of people, not a lot, but some filmmakers still make all practical films because they don't like the CGI look. Coming into this movie, I knew I was going to get some CGI, and what I wanted was them to embrace what the CGI can do, which is really enhance the dreamscape more than practicals could affordably allow. And this is one of the few times I felt that they did that. And when we talk a little later, I really think that they didn't utilize the dreamscape as well as some of the previous installments. For, for everything in this movie, we don't see Freddy the shapeshifter. He doesn't extend his arms or his shadow. He doesn't become other people. He is pretty much a slasher in the mold of Jason or Michael. So 
there wasn't a lot of the dreaminess that I kind of hoped for going in. But what I got, like the snow in the bedroom later on and the exploding students here, I really dug just in its surreal dreamlike quality. And Stuart, I got to come in here on this one, too. I love this image. I thought it was perfect to get you right into the dreamscape because the practical effects look so limiting and were so limiting in the first few movies of Nightmare on Elm Street, although sometimes they were very, very fun and very, very good. I think this movie took the opportunity it had and this one scene in particular and in the next in the next death scene as well really did it well. And I think this is the kind of CGI that more movies should do the good stuff than the cheesy-looking, bad special effects CGI stuff that looks just as bad as Babylon 5 did on TV. You know what I mean? So there's a middle ground there, Stuart, that you can have practical effects. But for this movie, for the dream world of Freddy, you CGI could only be good. And I will say that some of the CGI in this movie looks bad. Yes, it does. But you know what? Some of the practicals in a lot of movies also look bad. Yes, they do. So, <laughs> you know, it's a question of which bad do you prefer? I prefer the original. Then we get our first real Freddy scene because Freddy's up there. He's talking. He's a talkative Freddy, this one. He's not a jokester, though, but he kind of has some dark lines. How would you guys describe him? I'm kind of at a loss. I mean, he has some lines that Robert England would have delivered and you need a rim shot right after him. But Jackie's delivery comes off far more menacing for me. He's flatter. The more he talked, the less I liked him. I, I wish he would shut up because some of his jokes were just as punny as we heard before. Later in the movie, in the middle of the stupid comments, he said something like, why don't you just fucking die or something? And I'm like, yes, that's what I want. Because I've been saying I want this guy to be more menacing and more serious. And he certainly was had a more serious bent to him. But the, the one thing I did absolutely love about this character was the way he played with his nails. Oh, I love that little twitchy. Oh, I love oh, it. Oh, that was such a great thing. He did it in the very first dream with Dean. And he did it again and again. And that is, oh, it, it may be the only thing Jackie brought to the character. But it's such a great little thing. I loved it. I loved it. And But, you know, overall, I was very disappointed in, in Freddy himself in this movie. I expect maybe my expectations on what I wanted are getting in the way here. But they have an opportunity here. I've been saying this for how many podcasts of having a really scary character with this guy and what he's doing and how, what kind of power he has and how you can't escape him because you have to go to sleep. All of these things. And what do they do? He's a little flat here. Why is he so flat? Why can't he be more menacing, evil and creepy? The more he talked, the less I liked him. And I really wish they kept him more quiet. I was a little disappointed in him. I got that, yes. I think I said in the last podcast I was going to predict that Jackie Earl Haley was going to outdo Robert England, and I owe Robert England an apology. It breaks my heart, because I think Jackie Earl Haley has killed in recent roles. If you saw him in Little Children, he did a, a straight version of this very role. He was a pedophile who self-immobilized himself. He was in this neighborhood freak. It was a really not particularly great movie. It's definitely one of those dysfunctional suburbia movies, but his... His part in it is, is pretty powerful, and I think he's a tremendous actor, and I still think he's a tremendous actor, but I look at this and I go, Timothy Dalton, you're not exactly right for the role, and you're not really served very well by the material, and that double whammy leaves a very sad distaste in my mouth about how this all went. I, I want to just put it out there. When Samuel Bayer, the director, auditioned for getting the job of rebooting, remaking Nightmare on Elm Street... He cast Kevin Bacon 
in the role. And I look back on that now. He shot a short scene with Kevin Bacon and James Franco. There's your Freddy. There's someone with the physicality of Freddy and who even has played a child molester before. I mean, I think Kevin Bacon would have been perfect. The more I think about that, the pro- one of the problems I have with Jackie, he's really short. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if Freddy, if the one thing they didn't do a callback from the first movie that they should have, grow those fucking limbs. Because he's, he's uh, maybe an inch taller than Chucky. I mean, he is not imposing at all. He's not physical. You see him, and it's like, yeah, you could intimidate a five-year-old, but these teenagers, no. I mean, Dean could kick your fucking ass, knives or not. It's ridiculous. There's, there's nothing scary about Jackie when you physically see him. And can I just say, I see this makeup job, and I go, Joan Rivers. This is <laughs> horrible. I don't like it. I know they were going for a realistic take. I hate the, I hate the makeup. Hate the makeup. I disagree with both of you, actually. I, I don't think that Haley outdid England, but I think he did his own thing, and I liked what he did. Stuart, you were talking about his height. I, I didn't notice it, and come to think of it, in most of the scenes, the way they were shot, you don't see him in the same frame as other people. So that could be why I didn't notice it. But I liked his delivery. I liked that he didn't wait for the rim shot with his jokes that he had throughout here. I thought that what he played was creepy. Was he scary? No. But knowing that we're, well, let's talk about this now. He touches little boys' winkies. It's the very special episode of Different Strokes where Dudley's in the bike shop. That's the Freddy we've got here. And overall, this Freddy gives me the willies. And he likes to torture his victims. I think I said in Freddy vs. Jason, it's not Freddy's MO to torture. It is here, and I like it. I like that Freddy plays with his food, for lack of a better term. I like the creepiness. He didn't come off physically imposing, but the dude exists only in dreams. He doesn't need to. He's beyond the physical. And the line delivery worked for me. Some of the lines written don't necessarily work for me, but the way he delivered them worked very well. I liked that since he knew all these characters as children, he played with that, with the ready or not, here I come type of thing, you know, calling back to when he used to play with them when they were children. And as for the makeup, I liked it. It took a little while to grow on me, and I was shocked that they showed it in as much light as they did. I kind of figured he'd be kept to the shadows, and I noticed they tried to kind of two-face it a little bit. There was some CGI going with one of the cheeks where they tried to make it pulsate. It wasn't nearly as freaky as Two-Face from The Dark Knight, but they they went that way, and I'm glad they didn't just make another Pizza Face Freddy, because they needed to make their own Freddy, and they did, and I liked it, and I look forward to seeing what Jackie does with this role as the series goes on, and he can break out further from Freddy's elongated animated shadow. I have a couple of questions for you, Arnie, because you are the Freddy fan here more than Stuart and I. So to hear you say that is nice, honestly. I think that's really great that you, the big fan of Freddy, enjoy a new take on the character. I think more my problem with Jackie Earl Haley's take on Freddy, and I think Stuart's right there with me, is I think because they cast Jackie Earl Haley, he and I came in with bigger expectations of how creepy and menacing this guy was going to be based on the presence that Jackie Earl Haley can bring to a role. Unfortunately, I, and I agree with Stuart, I think the physicality that he lacks didn't help in this movie. I think I did see him be small. Of course, he's off in the distance and he's playing in, in the, and he's all silhouette that looks great with the hat. And when he's up there close in their faces, you really can't tell. But when you can tell, it takes you right out. 
as far as the makeup goes, for me, when he talks, it was like a puppet sometimes with his mouth. It, it just like it couldn't move right now. If that you want to call that realistic because that's how burn scars heal, okay. But in profile, when he's talking, I saw a Muppet mouth, and that took me out of it. So while I see what you're saying, and I too am looking forward to seeing how far he will take this character in future installments. From what I was led to believe on the little I knew of the character going in and what I know of Jackie Earl Haley as an actor, what I got was disappointing. I've seen him as Rorschach in The Underwhelming Watchmen, and he was briefly (laughs) in Shutter Island. So I had no expectations based on the man. You guys have talked him up to me. I like He was great in Unwatchman. What are you talking about? He and was he fantastic. Did, he was oh yes, totally... he was great in a yeah. lackluster movie. Uh we're not <laughs> reviewing Watchmen. He was his face was entirely hidden by a mask and he gave a better performance than he did under this latex. A certainly more imposing performance. And presence. How about that presence? He's a same st- size man, and you were scared the crap of what Rorschach's going to do Correct. When, you, when you piss him off. He didn't have that same kind of presence here as Freddy. I disagree. This Freddy scared me at times. <laughs> but by making him a pedophile, they have fundamentally changed Freddy. They did. And that is an interesting choice. What's what's funny is initially Wes Craven had him as a pedophile and killer, but then around the time that they were making it, there was some highly publicized pedophilia cases and Wes didn't want to feel like he was utilizing that for extra publicity. So he specifically removed pedophilia from Freddy's repertoire. And it's funny because I really it's shocking to me that we went eight movies and never discussed, you know, is he a pedophile? And it's kind of hinted at in Freddy versus Jason, I felt. But it's specifically say he's a child killer in the others. Here he's a child molester, which made me wonder why he's building the glove. That that was a that was one stretch. Is was he building up to killing? Was was he like the Buffalo Bill of child molesters? I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and spill my big take on this. I don't think Freddy is real. I think this is an allegorical story about what children do when they don't deal with sexual abuse. And Freddy is the thing that's killing them, but it's metaphor. It's not that there's really a Freddy and he's really coming for them. It's the fact that they cannot handle the fact that they were touched when they were five. I think you're wrong because nobody's going to reboot a franchise by having children plagued with nightmares of molestation where Freddy's an allegory. I agree. You couldn't make a sequel to it. No, you couldn't. And that that, that would never, they'd never do that because they signed Haley to a three-picture deal. This was intended long before Penn was put to paper as a way to bring back a franchise, not as a way to have Freddy come back for one hit. This was not, you know, whatever this director's name is, New Nightmare. So I got that he was molesting the kids. He actually cut the little girl on her back with the three prongs. But I didn't get in the movie, and I'm not sh- I didn't think it was explaining this movie, the origin of the glove. I saw the rake clearly at the front of the screen because they showed it to me as he was using that little tiny rake to weed the garden. But That was one of two scenes that made me think, were they considering making this in 3D? Yeah, but the origin of the glove, maybe I fell asleep for a two minutes because i didn't see him make the glove in reality yet he has it in the dreams when they go into his cave later in the movie two fingers okay fine two fingers but they didn't say the kid with the slash marks on her back they're saying he had the glove that way back then all that kind of thing i mean they don't explain why he comes back in dreams they don't explain any of that to me what makes sense what they're telling me from the information they're giving me is that these kids have repressed their childhood and their parents have been happy to repress it have killed their abuser because they don't want their kids to remember what happened to them but of course you can't 
suppress that. There, that has trauma that is going to carry through them through life, and without therapy and drugs and proper reconciling of it, it's going to manifest in a different way. And I think that's a movie I would have really endorsed, is if they had gone there full force and really explored it that way, this could have been a very powerful movie. What's funny is that's a movie I wouldn't want to see. And I think you're right. I think it would, if I were sitting in the audience dressed up in a Freddy glove and mask, <laughs> and the movie turned around and said, you touch boys, I think I would slink away. I mean, it has totally changed. I still think it's changed his iconic status. You can't walk out of this movie thinking, oh, I know what I'm going to be for Halloween this year. I mean, you don't want to be Freddy. You don't like Freddy. Yeah, they made action figures of this visage of Freddy, and I just don't think they're going to sell as well. But, Stuart, I want to ask you a question on this because you said before it, cha- it fundamentally changes the character of Freddy. Yeah. Freddy is a child molester in this movie. He does not kill the kids. He just touches them and cuts them. Okay? Yeah. I agree with you. I think that does change him. And I think before when he's a child killer, it's more black and white. To have him be a molester is a much creepier thing. Unfortunately, it doesn't carry over the whole movie. That, that creepiness of who he is is uncomfortable, but there's a step in between, Stuart, I think, where you want it to go that it could I, be. Yeah, if there's no way to make a fondler a serial killer that people enjoy watching do bad deeds. And so that has been Freddy's MO in every movie. Even in the first quote-unquote dark movie, Freddy had a sense of humor. He had a presence that made him intriguing this character is not intriguing he's repulsive i think that's a good way to go with it i do i'm thinking that if you want to build a franchise around a villain you can't have him be the hero which is it worked very well in part three i actually liked it in part four but the familiarization and the embracing of freddy is what made this series go to nintendo land in freddy's dead So I think that making him creepy and saying, hey, you're not going to dress up for him as Halloween isn't, you know, is the right thing to do because you're not going to dress up as him as Halloween. But if you enjoyed this movie, you're going to go back to see him try to kill more teens next time. Well, okay. so by doing this, I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but by doing this, you have now asked me two things. You have asked me to care about the protagonist and her overcoming Freddy. And you have asked me to be scared. And neither is true here. It is very hard to care about this protagonist because, as I said earlier in the podcast, I think Nancy is a terrible actress or just terribly portrayed here. She's mousy. She's... I I think that's a way to go. I actually wish... My my beef is that the kids are so freshly scrubbed in this movie. I like if they were all molested as kids, like why are they so together? I don't get that. I don't understand. They don't remember being, they don't remember being molested. They, but they'd still be kind of fucked, you know? I think that I that kind of stuff comes up. And I definitely yeah. think that by portraying Nancy as an artist and that sort of her drawings are hearkening back to some of these early childhood, when they finally get back to it, there's images that are literally taken from what was driv- drawn by her during these you know, advances by Freddie and what she's doing, the work she's doing now. I mean, this is, there's a direct correlation between who they are now and what happened to them then. And to act like, no, these are all people that go to the gym and spend three hours on their hair and they're totally fine, except they have these dreams. I think is really, it, it takes me out of this realistic, scary, creepy, perverted me uh, to go with. I, I go, this is no fun. And it, 
either make it fun or make it scary, and I don't feel like this movie is either. I, I will take issue. I don't think the problem is with Nancy at all. I think she's kind of doing a thing like Kristen Stewart. You know, she's got that Kristen Stewart quiet of like, my whole appeal is that I'm aloof and, you know, kind of, she was kind of like a cross between Kristen Stewart and Julia Roberts and Sleeping with the Enemy for me. Of just like this damaged beauty of like, if you can get to know her, she's probably really fun. But there's so much there's so much art and intrigue and, you know, mystery to her. She's that I think that's the allure. And that's fine. I can go with that portrayal. I didn't really have a problem with her, but she's not particularly captivating. I, I guess that she doesn't have a lot of presence in this movie, and uh, I don't know if yeah. that's the writing. I don't. I don't blame the actress. I don't. Yeah. Also, I like how the character's written in that later in the movie, she tries to take control of the situation and tries to end it, and I kind of like that. Well, that's kind of what the original Nancy did when she set up the booby traps, but I don't yeah. feel like this Nancy was as strong as Langenkamp. Well, that come. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna split the difference. That Nancy, Rambo Nancy, comes out of left field in the first movie. It really is like <laughs> they throw a switch and all of a sudden she's ready to, yeah, exactly, uh, kung fu him. And they don't do that here because that would be absurd. Um, I, I think they twilighted it. I think they were just like, how do we get someone that has that Kristen Stewart appeal and put her in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie? Having purposely avoided Twilight, I didn't recognize that. So speaking of Twilight, let's talk about the Twilight star again, Chris. Her next dream, she's at her house. Her mother leaves town just like Tina's mom did because Chris is basically Tina with a different name. Can I just interject real quick here? By the way, Chris's mom is a single mother flight attendant who lives in a house with, uh, uh, I mean, a spectacular mansion. Her kid drives convertibles. I'm like – A Volkswagen bug convertible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, do you know how much flight, flight attendants make? (laughs) <laughs> it's like twenty to thirty thousand a year. I'm like, she must be getting a hell of an alimony check because there's no other way this this lifestyle could be afforded. I thought that was absurd. Her boyfriend Jesse comes over and she has the dream and goes out and sees Freddie has killed her dog. And I liked this. I was so sad about Rufus dying. Can I just say <laughs> I was most and that was the most affecting death in the whole movie. I'm like, oh, you kill a dog. It's it's unforgivable. I know. You never kill dogs and kids. I also liked Freddie's line here, the I was just petting. I, I liked yes. it. It worked for me. I also liked the return of the tight football jersey. Of course, this time I liked it so much better. All I could think of was Stewart's line, whoever it is, they want to see me in pants. She was wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was wearing shorts, but she's walking around in that jersey. I'm like, holy cow, man. Jeez. She was just walking all over the place that way. It was almost like the girl leaving the house without the pants in the other movie, but it was not the same thing because she was actually clothed. Here's she the still difference. Looked like she wasn't. In the 80s, that was a woman with no pants. Now, that's the style for that age group. <laughs> yeah. She floats up in the air and gets slashed, and it's far more brutal than Tina's. Instead of just stomach slashes, she's slashed like head to groin. But again, did this whole dream seem fast? They never linger in this movie. It's like they really just push the pedal down. We've got to kill Chris. We're going to kill her kind of like Tina. But instead of fucking with her and making this dream kind of tortured, we're, we're just going to kill her now. And... Chris's death was, again, very gory, but it just felt so quick. I just wish that she'd put up a bit more of a fight. And when she wakes up and it's that obvious, as soon as she woke up, I'm like, well, she's not really awake. And then Jackie Earl Haley's there in bed with her. You know, this one is a big, big beef with me. Okay, the movie is cut like every five frames. We must cut to something else. 
except when they want to pull that bullshit. And that makes me so mad of like, okay, we're going to do a long shot where she wakes up and sees her boyfriend, sits up, we see her in close-up, and she lies back and, surprise, it's Freddy in bed instead of the boyfriend. Well, if you had ever shot any other scene that lingered, I might actually believe that that wasn't going to happen. But because every other scene is cut like cut, 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 cut. I know that if you're lingering, I know what you're about to do. I was really mad. I was so bad when that happened because you watch that movie and every time the shot is longer than five seconds, it's because they want to pull that garbage. You know, that could be why I knew. You know, it could be. I didn't notice consciously, but subconsciously it could have been. I think, I I think you so do. I, whether you consciously or not or pick it up, it's rhythmic. And you do notice that all of a sudden, hey, we're just lingering. And why? Oh, it must be because Freddy's coming. Every single time that happens, you know it's coming. You're and I'm disappointed right. because I really wanted to see what this guy... I think those music videos he made in the 90s are really iconic. I thought, wow, this guy is the reason I want to see what he's going to do. But he's still in music video mode. I mean, there's montages when there should be scenes. And he quick cuts things when I want people to have a dialogue. It just... Yes, this is what I'm saying. This is what yeah. I'm saying about the pacing. Is yeah. it, it needed to slow down at times. I never felt like it did. It felt like everything was trying to get in for the three minute 30 second radio edit i liked this death though i liked it a lot i liked being tossed over the place i thought it was quick i thought it worked i liked this scene a lot i thought this death was fun uh, call back to the first movie and i kind of enjoyed that and call back shit it was yeah. the first movie how the uh, fuck was it a call back that, was- that's my comment i'm just like i thought i saw this before and that might be my review actually of the whole movie is like haven't we already done this like what is so special about this that we couldn't have gotten the same feeling out of the first movie's take on it? And seriously, comparing Chris's dream here to Tina's dream in the original, even though Chris gets, you know, cut deeper, I prefer Tina's. Tina, the way Freddie fucked with her and things, I, I liked Tina's better. It was scarier. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Now, then... I'm just scratching my head because Jesse runs to Nancy just like Rod did. And the police are already after him. Now, Chris's mom's out of town. How'd they find the body? I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, though, because I noticed this, that everyone's a single parent in this movie. Everyone has one parent. It's like a Disney character. It doesn't make any sense. Why is why is there no parents, two parents well, all, in a household? They all killed a guy. You know, again, it's like we said in the first one. That can kind of fuck with a marriage. Yeah, and we do, and yet we don't see in the first one, we saw that a parent was an alcoholic and another one was a lawman. And here I didn't see that their actions had, had led them into their future lives. It didn't seem uh, like, at all. oh, we just did this and now that's all behind us. The cops arrest Jesse and then we get another great dream sequence with Jesse in the prison. And I, I love this dream, the way the prison turns into the boiler room. I love Freddy's line, you know, the way he's got, he's got two bodies up on the wall. He's got Chris and he's got Dean and Jesse's just screaming. He's like, why are you screaming? I haven't even cut you yet. I'm, I'm loving this Freddy at this point. And then, yeah, Freddy disappears, gives Jesse the thought he might get a chance to wake up. I okay. liked how his chest was punched out. I thought that was pretty effective. And I love the inmates reaction afterwards. <laughs> I thought that was great. It shocked me. That was one of the bad CGI effects, though. It looked really cheap. And again, I'm like, are they making this for the 3D conversion? I thought it was I, telegraphed again with the lingering stuff we talked about. I did enjoy they left him alone a bit. I do like that one line as well. When he says, why are you screaming? I haven't cut you yet. I laughed out loud because I'm like, yeah, 
creepy Freddy. Yeah, it's it's a badass line. It really is. It was. It worked perfectly for this scene. I liked this scene as well. I thought it was good. I didn't notice the CGI being terribly cheesy in that. I just I just saw the the, the chest bursting out, and I was like, whoa. Exactly. No, I, I didn't really have a problem with the CGI in this scene. I mean, yeah. when, when I say the CGI, I, what I'm really thinking about is Freddy coming out of the wall. And... Which was needless, and it was derivative of the first one again, and it had no point in the first one, let alone here. But Clearly wanted just to bring it back because it's part of the first movie. It's, that's all. I, I think I was having a micro nap at this moment because I was, <laughs> bo- I, I was really bored. I was like, oh, I know this scene. I know this scene. I know this scene. By this point in the movie, it's following the structure of the first one so clearly closely and i'm not invested in these characters or are reliving it i mean it's uninspired is the word i kept coming back to it was like this is just really uninspired i'm bored i'm just i would zone out i was just like would he just drop dead so that we can get on with the bathtub scene speaking of just dropping dead again this is where that line comes in i still have six more minutes to play i felt really bad for jesse at that time i'm like oh shit it's gonna take him seven minutes for his brain to shut off and that whole time freddy's just going to cut him and cut him and cut him and i'm like that's fucking prime evil yeah you know you like saw movies arnie and i just i i just that i have no connection to that at all i just don't torture scenes aren't but they didn't give us a torture scene. It's implied torture, and it made me feel bad for the character being tortured. And that is effective. The difference between Saw and this is Saw shows the seven minutes of torture. Mm. This implies it and just makes me feel bad for the character without the anus-clenching brutality of Saw. But when you mm. watched Halloween with Rob Zombie, and I made comments about how they could they could have cut it a few seconds tighter so we wouldn't have to keep watching the brutality. I always talked about how he went too far, he went too far, he went too far. You were defending that greatly about how great that was. Yes, and if they'd done that here, you know, yeah, sometimes I like steak, sometimes I like chicken. Here's where the movie is gets a little bit wonky for me because after the prison scene, we have the gigaplast uh, bookshop scene. Is that yeah, right? I, was it a library? I thought there was a school library for a long time, and then they called it a bookstore. No, there's a there's an insert shot. It's called Powell's Bookstore. I actually wrote the name down. Powell's. I don't yeah. know what that means, but hey, that's better than Bad Ham Preschool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, they have this, and I love gigaplast. Cracks me up. I mean. Yeah, couldn't they get Google? Yeah. <laughs> or at least Bing. Bing is going to pay to be anywhere. Bing will sponsor us if we let them. <laughs> Gigablast? Really? Here's where they have the lame literary reference of the Pied Piper. Eye rolling, <laughs> eye rolling, eye rolling. And I love that the artist drew the Pied Piper like Freddy with a red and blue sweater instead of a red and green sweater and vertical stripes instead of horizontal stripes. Thank God they didn't Wes Craven's New Nightmare this, though. I thought it was weird that they didn't make a callback to it, but at the same time, I wasn't asking for it. What I thought was funny was that the character of Quentin had to tell Nancy what the Pied Piper of Hamlin was all about. Like, oh, it was about um, I, I, I she knows like she went through fifth grade you know yeah, maybe she forgot maybe she forgot most of it but i think she remembers that one and it doesn't even fit because he's like well the pied piper was betrayed by the town yeah but the pied piper was hired for a job he didn't molest the kids this is also the great scene when we talk about what arnie referred to a few times with the micro sleep this is the description that roger rabbit doctor should have had earlier in this in the earlier movies am i right the micro sleep thing makes a lot of sense for why these kids are falling asleep when they're trying so hard not to. I actually liked it. I looked this up. 
there's some reality to it. it oh, with, good. with sleep deprivation, you know, like all the scenes we've seen in all these nightmare movies where people are driving and they're so tired and they kind of nod off for a second, that is referred to as micro sleep. They call it a micro nap in this movie, but it is called micro sleep and that is a real thing and it can be REM sleep instantly. The whole coma thing I think is made up where if you have enough of these micro naps and you still don't sleep, you go into a coma from which you can't wake up. Weren't comas big in the 80s? I haven't heard much about comas since then but yeah uh that i'm pretty sure was fictitious but this micro nap thing i was nervous because i saw that in a trailer and i'm like oh crap don't tell me they just made up some weird shit but i i did some googling and from what i can tell in like a wikipedia article that i went a few years back to make sure it wasn't put there by the producers of the film it does appear <laughs> to be real so you giga blasted it and it turned out to be okay. I gigapedia it. <laughs> I, I think it's a good, helpful thing. I, I think that, uh, you know, we didn't need scene after scene of the kids pulling coffee makers forever out under their bed. The fact that they could actually enter dream state while walking around is good. I have a problem with a guy that's swimming laps in a pool falling asleep. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But for the most part, I think it's actually really helpful that they found a way to interject dreams wherever they go. And I want to say, you guys kind of just this bookshop scene but there's actually one of my favorite bits is happens in the scene it's a really subtle one but when he goes into his micro nap and he's walking back to the children's section there's some freaky shit going on with the book stands they kind of bend and warble for half that is bit. true those were that was really cool and that that's when you can do it something that subtly that i like it i mean it didn't have to have you know like freddie pop out from you know a bookshelf or something you know they didn't need to do what they used to do they like just subtle little things really set a mood. And that was really cool about him walking back to the thing. I was really with it until Freddie spins around really fast. Another Stuart pet peeve, when you speed up the film and make someone move faster than they physically can irritating to me and they do it in horror movies a lot now one thing here is this is about the point in the movie where we're no longer going to relive the first movie shot for shot it almost felt like we were watching gus van sant's psycho here up until this point and now we go off into this new movie with these micro naps and quentin and nancy teaming up whereas glenn was kind of aloof in the first one quentin's right there with nancy he's taking the adderall and offering it to nancy and all of that and researching with her and now i feel we're into something fresh now this is about the point where brock said he stopped liking the movie though <laughs> It's coming up exactly where the movie for me starts to get really, really weird for me. But it's almost there. They go back from the coffee shop and then we get the bathroom scene. And I think that scene was only put there so they could put the bathroom scene in the trailer so everybody can go. Remember how cool this was in 1985? Because <laughs> I, I just felt like there needs to be more water death, you know? I thought that there needed to be the drowning. Like, Yeah, the scene, the scene ends up at the old preschool yeah. it has nothing to do with water or the fact that she's naked or anything nothing about this very vulnerable moment is exploited by freddie here it's, right. it's the glove comes out once and then it goes back under and that's the end of it it's like yeah they're, they're needed again to be more and they didn't instead they go a different way she gets out of the tub and you think it's normal but no she's dreaming because it's snowing in her bedroom and then she's back at the school freddie's there telling her she smells different and she's his number one and this is what really starts to lead her down the path of nancy drewing out her relationship to freddie right yeah so what, what, what incredible detective work she walks into a dream and there's a sign there and she googles it 
I mean, that's <laughs> a remarkable. They're really remarkable detect. Good job, Nancy. Working for the CIA soon, I'm sure. But here's the thing in this dream that I that this is where I start to think Halloween. She's like hiding from Freddy in the closet and looking through the slats. That is straight out of Halloween part one. Yes. And the fact that Freddy seems to be looking for her. This isn't omniscient, omnipotent Freddy that we've seen Robert England play. He's he, you know, he knows, but he's pretending to look around. I believe when we were doing Freddy versus Jason Stewart, you complained about how Freddy waved his hand and caught somebody on fire and said there's always a physicality to freddy here it seems like there's only a physicality to freddy he's not climbing the walls and the ceiling he's not flying he's not super freddy he has to walk up to you and claw you just like jason just like michael but arnie in this very scene you're talking about he disappears and then reappears in the closet with her behind the door that's not physical at all he has to transport himself there Yes, but he still has to be there. You know, he he can't Nintendo her. You know, he he can't he can't manipulate her by that without actually touching him. I see. Yeah, I, I just it. Here's the thing: is it's like they're cheating, right? They want you to be afraid, as if you're watching Scream or Halloween. He has to get her, but oh shit, he can just pop up anywhere because it's a dream. It's kind of a cheat to do that. You see what I'm saying? I I, I agree that it's uh, not really well defined what his powers are. He seems mostly powerless, except when they want to shock you. He can pop up anywhere, but yet you can run from him. You know? And also, we talked before about lingering shots. Well, here, I predicted him saying boo, and she crashes out of the door. That was completely telegraphed because of the way the scene was set up. I just wanted to say that again, because here is a good example of when that was happening. The movie slows down in the second half, because now we get a lot of scenes of them going through boxes. Uh, So they find the pictures with all of them together in preschool they confront the parents and get the backstory to freddy here's for, for me where the movie starts to go a little wonky and it starts to lose me they go to clancy brown and they confront him with this presumption that the parents killed an innocent man that was a seeming jump for me i'm like they don't remember this at all so why are they instantly jumping to the conclusion that they killed an innocent man is it i guess i could go with they just didn't want to think that they'd been touched inappropriately but it it seemed like a big leap to we said that we must have lied we're liars exactly my point it really jumped and how they came to that conclusion was lost upon me watching the movie i didn't see how they put that together in their own minds either so going to their father and confronting him this way without having the full story or even actually a lot of the story at all I got really upset with the movie with like, are you telling me that they're actually going to make Freddy an innocent victim of this situation? And now he's getting revenge in these kids because he was burned because he was accused of something he didn't do. Is that what they're going to do with this movie? And I started turning on this movie completely because I had no indication the movie was going to turn again and, and let us know that no, Freddy really did do these things. At this point, since the kids jumped to this conclusion out of the blue, I figured, oh, shit, this is where the movie's going to go. I don't like this at all. I could have gone with it. I could have gone with with it, especially given the Pied Piper reference of being betrayed by the town. I could have gone with Freddy was wrongly burned by overzealous supermoms. 
I, I'm with you, Arnie. I agree. I thought that was what they were going to do. And I'm like, well, that is an approach. I don't know if it's the best approach, but that's interesting that we are now dealing with a vigilante. It doesn't make sense why he would kill the kids and not the parents, but right. maybe that's always been a problem with the movie. <laughs> it, it would have been an interesting way to go. I will say this to what you're talking about. Victims of, of sexual abuse tend to blame themselves and not the attacker when it is a person in a position of authority and i think that if i am correct and some of these earlier drafts were that freddie is the undealt with deep-seated problems that stem from the abuse that's why Here, here's my problem with his backstory more than anything this wasn't the 50s or 60s anymore when freddie was doing this this was the 90s right who lets a gardener, a single male gardener, <laughs> live in the basement of a preschool in the 90s? There's zoning laws. I mean, you can't do that. It's just not. It's Yeah, there's, you cannot have a residence below a preschool. And where were the teachers? As far as I could tell, there was a, one photographer and him <laughs> doing all of the entertaining. I mean, it was it was ridiculous. You know, it's couched in a dream in a montage. And here's where I really wanted the movie to slow down and give me scenes of dialogue. I want to see Freddy seduce a child. Not not <laughs> back up. I, I want to see his method of seduction for a child. I don't want to see the attack. I kind of thought we did because he was like, can you help me with my drawings? I'll take you to my secret cave. Then, That's it. Yeah. That's it. Well, come on. What does he need? An ice cream truck? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which, by I mean, the way, I want to say Robert England had in Freddy's Nightmares the series. But anyway. I did need to see how he gained their trust and why they would go I down. I thought we got that. He played he hide and go seek. In a them. montage? You think that's effective dramatically to show a bunch of cuts of him jumping around on the lawn and then all of a sudden they're going to go to his magic cave? Even though it may have been too quick, Stuart. They had that scene with him at, with Nancy at the table, the Trojan's table, saying, well, these are great drawings. I'm having trouble with my own drawings. Do you want to come down to my secret place or whatever to see my drawings? Maybe you can help fix them. That was the lure. And they did show us that. So Arnie said, what Arnie said is right in that they did kind of show us a little bit of it. Could there have been more there and made a different movie because of it? Sure, absolutely. But they did show us that, and it, and it should. Yeah, be. The, the, what I think the what we're disagreeing about is you call that a scene. I call that a clip. That <laughs> okay. wasn't a scene. That was a montage. And a scene you end and you begin and end in that moment. And they didn't do that. I mean, yeah. I, no, I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying, Brock. It's there. I'm just not someone that gives credence of, well, see, they said it in this throwaway line, like the movie's really done a good job of setting Here's it. Here's what's funny is I'm kind of taking both sides of this because I had the same argument with Brock about the opening scene because there's the dropped line, oh, Jesse was dating Chris. And I'm like, yeah, but they never show us anything to make that believable. And yet here there's the one scene. I guess it's a difference of show versus tell. If they show quickly, I'll accept it. If they tell quickly, I'm I'm scratching my head. And then you're actually expecting me to believe that he doesn't just touch one. He touches an entire class who collectively forget about it and and boys as well as girls and different ethnicities. I mean, this is no M.O. of a predator. This is totally made up bullshit. This is where I'm getting angry because you're asking me to consider a real Kruger. And then you gave me this fear based, ridiculous child molester that has never existed. I mean, it's just dumb. Now, I never felt like he molested all of the children. I, I never got that. I, I mean, he molested some of them. Maybe if he'd had more time, who knows? I know Nancy, you know, was his favorite little 
little play thing. The boys as well as girls, I gotta be honest, I don't spend a whole lot of time wondering about the MOs of pedophiles. Brock, where do you weigh in this? Did you think it was the whole class, or did you just think it was a couple? I only thought it was a few of them. I didn't think it was the whole class, although I do think the whole class played with the guy outside. I didn't think he played with all the kids inside. You got me? So No, all right, so you're saying... That parents whose kids weren't molested banded together with the parents whose kids were molested. Because who knows? Because, yeah, because they don't know if their kid actually was or not, but they feel that it could have happened. Didn't we need that scene? Didn't we really, really, really need that scene? Yes. Let me summarize what I've been saying the whole time in a little bit better way. This is like the greatest hits of a movie. It's like we got all the action beats and none of the conjunctive scenes. We didn't get any of those scenes where the parents are talking about burning and we just get the scenes of them chasing them. We don't get any of the scenes with these teens interacting with each other in any other way than survival mode. All of these scenes are missing from this movie. Yes, I would like the movie to slow down and flesh out its characters a little more. I, I think that, you know, this isn't the only movie with this. I feel the same way about Star Wars Episode Three. It's not until you get to the novelization that you understand why the hell half the shit's going on. And more to the point, can I just say, we're not even sure if this is the way it went down. These right. are dreams that are presented to the kids as explanations. Really, they're provided by Freddy to the kids so that they know what happened. They're his version of the truth. I'm like, no, this is so wrong. We should have begun with a non-subjected version of this story in the beginning. It's so wrong to have this build to this bizarre retelling by the victimized person to the people he wants to kill and touch it just no that i never got now he drops a line when he's talking to nancy about how he feeds off them remembering him or some bullshit yes i really wondered when later on while swimming quentin starts seeing the burning because the touching we're kind of shown in a montage while the kids are finding out that's not a dream what is a dream is seeing freddie burned and I'm like, why is Freddy letting them into his head, like, in part six? Why is Quentin being shown this when everybody else w- was being fucked with? Quentin gets to see behind the music of Freddy. Why? Because <laughs> that was... I, I agree, because that was the way they wanted to unveil a mystery. And a mystery that's been blown, you know, 20 years ago, however many years ago, 25 years ago, 26 years ago. In the original movie, I mean, most people are up to speed about what went down. I just, if you're playing to people that don't know who Freddy is, you're wrong. You have made the wrong movie. I I think you could have played to both. And I think that it had me going. I wondered, was Freddy innocent in this new movie? Is this their new Freddy, an innocent man who's pissed off that they burned him alive because of the lies of some kids, which is why he could be killing the kids is because they lied. Right. But it still made me uncomfortable that they were going to try to make this guy an innocent man. And because I always, you know, we talked a lot about this. And and they also talked about it in the new Nightmare movie, how Freddy comes out to the cheering fans. And this is a murderer. This is a killer. This is a child killer. And he's he's loved and adored by millions. And that's kind of weird if you think about it, you know, right? So here they're giving him a chance to be an innocent man and therefore giving an opportunity for this guy to be loved. And that's maybe like trying to justify it's okay. That was kind of weird to me. Why not? It worked. If it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, you'd be rooting for it. 
I totally agree. I think it's just where we are as a culture right now. If we see a single man that likes to talk to kids, oh my God, he's going to take them to the basement and touch them. I mean, it's a totally reactionary, fear-based cliche. I mean, it would have been more surprising to find out that, oh, that man that we just assumed was touching kids, no, he was a gardener, and he really <laughs> liked them. Yeah. Just as develop, just like developing minds. That was it. I mean, wouldn't that have been a bigger shocker? I mean, it's not shocking to think that, oh, the school gardener that lives alone in the basement has a secret case. I mean, didn't I just see this movie in Lovely Bones, too? Another movie I did not like. And I just, ugh. Can we have a different portrayal, please? I, w- I would have liked it. I, you know, they always demonize the parents. And really, personally, I feel like in the 90s and beyond, parents have gone overboard with their protectiveness of children. I would have loved this to almost be a satire of that in Freddy's realm. I, I would have so been on board for that movie i think the pair all i can say is i think the parents should have banded together after they burned freddie in the in the fire or in the what is it, a factory what, what is it it's the boiler room i mean they, they took him to a, a he, what i mean it's not it's <laughs> got smokestack i mean there's something there's i something. always thought a boiler room was a power plant yeah, it's a power plant. You're right. They they should have then gone to the daycare and burned that to the ground because the people that ran that are just as culpable as Freddy, really. Yeah, I, I want to know why it's shut down. If they killed it and did a full cover-up, then the school would still be open and the school like is still pretty intact. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to believe that every child forgot every detail about knowing each other. Playing, I have very vivid memories of being five. It's yeah, not me too. That's, I remember preschool. If it was two, I could buy it. If it's four or five, I, I don't buy it. Given the fact when people experience trauma, it's called repression, and I just don't think that it happens the same way for thirteen. 15 kids however many were in that preschool class i just think that's very convenient that they all oh i forgot you and then spend the first third of the movie here going did we know each other some other time i saw you in a photograph i I would have been perfectly fine if they'd all grown up with each other i mean isn't that kind of how it was in our town Stuart? i mean the same people who you went to second grade with were in your senior year Mm-hmm. Although I have to give them props, I do like the fact that some parents moved away. There's one that dies in Texas, and then you have this Marcus guy that's blogging about Freddie Dreams. I do like yes, the, the fact Asian that- is blogging with a video blog. Go figure. The only <laughs> Asian in Hollywood, because also don't forget, he's Aaron Yu, who we saw in Friday the 13th. Oh, I didn't realize that was him. Yeah, he's got a Platinum Dunes long-standing contract. I think he's going to do them all. <laughs> I-, I liked it. I actually thought that was the an effective way of showing the wide-ranging power of Freddy. Yes, he's not limited to Springwood, he's yeah. not married with children, and he's yeah. not the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. I did like that, too, that he actually, his power spreads beyond Springwood. I, I, I like that a lot. I thought that was really a good touch. Yeah. So then we start getting the micro-dreams. I thought these were really effective. I really like the one in the grocery store where it's the boiler room and it's the grocery store. I, I just thought it was really well edited i think we're bumping up to the same thing we were saying earlier with the classroom exploding is you really like those jump shots where they're physically standing somewhere and that it totally changes literally within a blink of an eye and i i'm not crazy about them 
That was the pharmacy, right? Yeah, he's at the pharmacy, and she's knocking down canned goods. I was more recovering from the fact that they were playing um, All I Have to Do is Dream, and I was just like, why couldn't they get the Elm Street singers right? <laughs> dream! <laughs> I was so happy when I heard that. I was like, oh, yeah, baby! Yeah, yeah. they play that three times in the movie. It's in the diner, it's in the drugstore, and it's in the end credits. Yeah. yeah, I didn't pick it up at the diner. I picked it up here at the drugstore. And right after that drugstore scene, when he couldn't get his pills. She gets her arm cut. They go to the hospital, and Quentin needs to get tweaked, so he steals some epinephrine, and I'm thinking, crank. And you get to see the doctor with the glove. It's the only time Freddy kind of shapeshifts, but it's a micro-nap, so I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. I was glad to see parental consent forms. Listen, <laughs> Wes Craven, there yes. are these things. You must sign yeah. them. Although they, they do frame that like that's a horrible thing. Like, oh, no, look at what those parents did to this girl. I'm like, I would hope that my parent would allow the hospital to administer a anesthetic if I'm bleeding profusely from the arm. So they decide they're going to go to Bad Ham. <laughs> I th- uh, you know, it is Badham, right? <laughs> I know, but <laughs> all right, it's yes. on these building blocks. <laughs> I know. The fact that they never say it and the fact that, yeah, the way that they read it, even the way she brushes off the snow, we read the word bad and then ham. I'm like, <laughs> well, that, that really describes most of these performances. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> So they drive along the way. I do like this scene here when uh, he finally asks her out and they make the joke, why don't you sleep on it? I thought that was cute. Hey, it's character development. I like it. I liked it. The the screenwriters apparently know what it is. They just choose (laughs) not to use it. It's like a low sodium meal. They know they could put salt in. They just don't. Yeah, we need to cut that real quick and have Freddy appear in the road and they can drive off in a loud screeching. Do you notice most of the MO of this movie is like, we'll start with really quiet and then we'll have deafening sound. And of course, I'm in this enhanced theater where the sound <laughs> literally, I mean, my seat is shaking. It's so loud. Every time a loud noise comes on, I'm just like, would this stop? I just, once that car scene happened, I'm like, I really don't think my eardrums can take anymore. I felt like, what's his name from part six? Carlos. I had real empathy for Carlos at this point in that just a uh, standard of horror movies from psycho though the sting to make you jump i i don't associate that with good horror movies i associate that with cheap shots so they go to the preschool and instantly find what the parents never could the magic cave there too all the evidence has stayed there for all these years didn't anyone go through there and no policeman or something and clear it out or looking for evidence at all. No policeman knows. I had that same thought, Brock, but you got to consider it. They never were. They're asked to believe that all these parents agreed in unison to never go to the cops. And I guess after you kill someone, you don't go to the cops. But it is sort of incredulous that every parent signed on to chase him like a lynch mob rather than going to talk to the teachers. I mean, didn't someone ask what happened to Freddy? Like, we used to have a gardener? What I think the story is, and I've only seen this movie once, but I think it was there were some rumors of inappropriate things, and so Freddy disappeared, and they just assumed he left town. Oh. Because they did say he left town. He doesn't live here anymore. That's the first of many lies that Nancy's mother tells. Because she's like, well, where does he live? All of that. Mm-hmm. But you're right. The, uh, it's all there, including the smoking gun that they need to know that this wasn't their lies. Polaroids of five-year-old Nancy naked. Ick. Ick. I felt at this point it's a really distasteful 
moment that if this is the subject matter it's not being handled very well i just this movie needed to be more fun and or or more dark and more scary dark and instead it's this kind of weird amalgam of where we're still trying to make you laugh with freddie lines but we're going to make it more repulsive and realistic so nancy decides to go into the dream and pull him out and quentin's like i'll go and nothing about this ending made any sense other than the fact that it was a callback to things that had happened in the previous Previous movie, we forget failed to mention that in the pharmacy when she micro naps, she pulled back a piece of his sweater, mm-hmm. and so thus that's where she learns that she can do this. I mean, it's really like, I mean, you're telling me from one sweater tear that they get the idea that she can pull him back. I just, oh, no. well, Nancy got it from a hat. Yeah, I didn't mind that at all. If you're gonna if you're gonna go there, I think a sweater tear is better than a hat. And I didn't mind that they did the pulling out of the dream because at this point I'm fully down that it's a remake. This is how they're gonna end it. And so I, I just assumed, hey, they're doing this. What I did like is again kind of like the very first movie. Quentin's like, Yes, I'll guard you and he grabs his little paper cutter machete, and then he instantly falls asleep. Yeah. What cracked me up about that was he's making so much stupid noise and he, she's on the bed sleeping. I'm so glad she opened her eyes after that because I'm thinking he's making so much noise how could she possibly sleep through that yeah so- <laughs> so I was thinking the same thing is wouldn't he get the weapon before she falls asleep oh wait she's <laughs> wide awake thank goodness <laughs> Thank goodness. I did like in this scene is that her eyes look so droopy and she looks so tired now whether or not that was her throughout the whole movie fine but in this scene I thought it was great because she's on no sleep and she's tired because she doesn't want to go to sleep. For the most part, I didn't think these kids did look tired. Maybe towards the end, but my, another problem I have is that, you know, they want them to look photogenic and attractive because that's the standard, you know, of, of a horror movie is we want to have good looking kids. But I'm like, yeah, all these kids are not sleeping and they look primped. I look worse today than they looked on their fifth day. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I I've mean, only gone one night with no sleep. Yeah, I wish that they had not seen the hair and makeup people. If that was the way they were going to go, I like the mystery because she goes in to find Freddy, but because Quentin fell asleep, Freddy goes after Quentin, and that had me going, "Oh shit!" You know, because it's not going to work out the way they expect. I figured Quentin would die. I mean, I'm surprised Quentin's still alive at this point. I, these movies usually end up with one person. Quentin survives the film. Spoiler alert. So I was not sure. only that. Not only that, Arnie. I can. I can be that is because they go to great lengths well twice which is not great lengths twice nancy turns down doing drugs quentin does drugs and in these horror movies that we've been watching the people who have sex and do drugs and do those kind of things but he doesn't to, do he illegal drugs he's on adderall prescription he's abusing his prescription drugs he's abusing prescription drugs he's yeah he's but he, you know adrenaline. He, he's doing this to stay away from freddie it's not like he's doing it for a rush i don't i never thought of him as a druggie I, i'm not saying I, what i'm saying is he's abusing drugs so I thought he was going to die because in the history of horror movies, you're right about it's not recreational for fun. It's because he had, because of his reasons. But I thought that's what they were going. They're going to set him up to die because he's using the drugs inappropriately. Those are old rules, Brock. That's pre-scream rules. Appa- apparently. Yeah, because really, Dean didn't do anything either. No, yeah, you're right. They, he drank a lot of coffee in a diner. <laughs> Called a waitress a bitch. <laughs> anyway. So Quentin goes in, gets stabbed, wakes up, and and then this is she runs from him. Here she falls into a pool of blood. And then Freddy says, How's this for a wet dream? Huh? Joey? I was not expecting Freddy to make a pun. It seemed imp- inappropriate. It seemed Completely. like 
It's you know what I'm even willing to bet it was something that was after the test screening. They're like, we're getting notes. Freddie needs to be more funny like he used to be. So say some jokes. Uh, yeah, it's weak. It's really weak. It's not the Freddie they've made. They made a Freddie uh, that is that exerts a power over over children. Uh, because he's, you know, he's sexually abused them. Uh, I don't think that he needs to be making wet dream jokes. I just, it's not adding up. It feels like two different visions colliding. Also, it's blood. And if I had a wet dream and I wake up and I have blood in my pants, that's not a good wet dream at all. That's a bad Depends one. Depends what you're into. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, he, he could have just easily said, you know, is it that time of the month, Nancy, and not had to repeat a joke they did four movies ago. I mean, and that makes no sense because women don't have wet dreams. Nocturnal emissions are strictly a man's thing. Yeah, I, I, oh, there you go. Female I, I ejaculation just, aside, can I just say that at this point, I was just thoroughly annoyed at how much was being taken from what had already been done. And and how unimaginatively it had been thrust up there. It's like, oh, we'll just get computers to redo everything that's ever happened before. I mean, I'm actively at this point angry that the movie is this lazy. Now, here's something I liked. The things that I liked about this movie and the screenwriting is that dropped lines from earlier actually pay off. Earlier, Quentin says, if you don't sleep, you'll go into a coma. And I'm like, oh, they're just, you know, trying to say, truth be told, if you don't sleep for long enough, you can have heart failure and die. This is fact. The coma, not so much fact. But they dropped that, and it turns out this was Freddy's strategy. It's why he was able to kill Chris and Dean so easily. But Nancy's his number one. He is intentionally fucking with her to get her to coma point so he can keep her around for a long time. Creepy as fuck. It should also be said he's reverted her back to being a little girl. She's in a little girl dress. And I think what's weird... Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't watch To Catch a Predator, but it wouldn't be my guess that a pedophile would be into a fully developed woman, which she pretty much is, certainly as an actress and almost is as a character. That's a little weird that he would still, I guess it's really about power and dominance at that point. He's still wanting to scare her and dominate her, but why would he be into her? I mean, he's definitely acting like he wants to fornicate it's a movie it's you know whatever the only thing i could say is i mean he's been dead for a decade or more and he's fixated on her she's why he's dead so he never got past it it's now all about her and not about her being five or her being 16 or whatever I, I thought it was I thought it was an interesting choice, and I thought it was the correct choice that he would try to turn her back into a child by putting that dress on her. Ah, okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, all right. Because that may, that's that is where he found her attractive. I also noticed. I mean, you've opened up a can of worms. I've been thinking about it, Arnie. If the whole class didn't get touched, who got touched? Was it just the girls? Because I, he only makes the moves on the teenage girls. He does not make a move on any of the guys. Doesn't he? I, I kind of got the impression that s- some of the guys were, but it's not explicitly stated. Mm-mm, it's not. So perhaps it is just little girls. I think we can agree on this. They don't want to get into this. And neither do I. I'm glad that they don't. Well, and I think I think that this is might have been what happened with the test screenings and the rewriting is that they were heading in a direction and realized it was way too hot for a formula entertainment teen slasher franchise and said, we got to pull this back or we can't make sequels out of this. And so it's compromised. I feel like 
you weren't making that movie. You know, you weren't making the movies like you were in the last that we've seen in the last eight one. There's not a single Nightmare on Elm Street movie that is in tone like this movie. Which is, again, what I like about it. They're staking a new claim, taking it in a new direction, keeping what worked, jettisoning the rest. Uh, okay. I disagree. I don't I, think so. I, I was having Alien 3 flashbacks of like, you're going darker, but it's not any fun to watch. And it's kind of pretentious because you're not following through on some of these ideas. I didn't. I wasn't having fun here. I think that's maybe a big difference. Is Arnie? You still found some of these kills to be exciting. I was not excited. I was certainly not scared by any of this. As repulsive and as icky as Freddy is, he's not scary. He's not getting to me. He seems like a very sad, damaged man who shouldn't have been around. Who shouldn't have been a gardener at a playground. You see, I got creepy. I got creepy off of him the whole time. And when he's putting her in the dress, I'm thinking, oh, that's creepy. And it, you know what? It unnerved me slightly. It, and that is good. If a movie gets a reaction from me, be, then that is good. And I, I don't think a movie can scare me i think i'm too old for that now i i i wish i could be seven again where dracula comes on tv and i'm too scared to watch it i wish i could go back there i can't i'm too jaded but this movie got a ew reaction out of me and that's a good thing i like that this movie you know that's as close to scaring me as they're gonna get so kudos yeah and i guess you know you saying that makes me think about what i think about rob zombie's work and what you think about rob zombie's work it is kind of a rob zombie moment it's it's making something putrid i don't think that that i don't equate that with being scary or necessarily good but you you're down for it a lot of times but then Freddy has her in the dream. She's trapped. But what he doesn't expect is Qu Quentin has seen Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction and happens to have an adrenaline shot hand. I was stunned that if you were going to directly reference Pulp Fiction so much, you would name a character Quentin. Like, <laughs> really? That is, that is, hmm, that, that. I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, that... the thing is with the kid being named Quentin. My first thought is, well, he was born in the 90s. I guess his parents were film buffs. I guess right. there are a lot of kids out there named Quentin. Oh, he stabbed her in the heart with an adrenaline shot. Huh? Now, I'm not saying that the parents named Quentin Tarantino because of Pulp Fiction. I'm saying the screenwriter. It's not a coincidence that the screenwriter has a character named Quentin doing one of the most fame infamous things from any Tarantino movie ever done. And, True. and to expect us to have the same shock like 15 years later, I'm like, come on. Expect us. Expect us three to have the same shock. No way. Maybe the kids who are watching this movie, they're rebooting this movie for yada, 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 haven't seen Pulp Fiction yet. Oh, I feel old. I know. I'm telling you, this movie made me, made me feel a little bit old. Yeah, this movie wasn't made for me. I, I think that's what we're saying, is that <laughs> it, it wasn't not made for people that have already seen this. So he stabs her in the heart with the adrenaline shot. She wakes up, brings Freddy into the real world. And then again, it's over pretty damn quick, isn't it? And Stuart, I thought you'd be happy. I'm really surprised at how negative you are on this film. But here, Freddy has no superpowers in the real world. Well, he hits somebody really hard and he flies backwards. And he, his, his, his punch is pretty strong. And here also, Arnie, is here's where you see the diminutive Freddy. 
you see him be small. You know what I mean? Now, of course, he's in the real world and his powers are gone. But if you want to spin it that way, it's fine. I always saw was a small man. I hadn't. I didn't notice. I did not notice. And that's not uh, like I'm trying to be apologetic. It may very well be true. I didn't notice. And Jackie it, can't help that. He can't help that at all. And Jackie has wonderful screen presence. It's not his fault. It isn't his fault. But the way they shot these scenes, to me, he looks small. And again, if that's the choice, fine. But it didn't come off as a choice. I think it can look I think that would have been effective if we were having a moment like they did in the first one the I don't believe you moment of I am facing my repressed fears and staring them down and you know what you're not all that scary if it had been framed that way great but here it just looks like a bunch of kids tagging Joan Rivers I mean it's really an unfair fight it's ridiculous it, it Freddie is not imposing, so seeing them, quote-unquote, take justice back and take control and take the power away from him, it just looks horrible. It does not look like vengeance. It does not look like justice. It looks like two teenagers beating up a frail, burned man. Mm. And earlier in the movie, one of them says to him, you're not real. And I thought that was great that they said that earlier. It didn't, didn't change a thing. But I thought it was pretty cool that these kids in this movie are smart enough to know to talk to the parents, smart enough to know to talk to each other, and smart enough to know this guy in the dream isn't real. And to call it out, again, didn't change much. Now, one of the things that we talked about with Freddy versus Jason was the overuse of the bitch line. Well, while Freddy does get a couple jokes in here, he never says bitch, which I didn't even realize until Nancy cuts off his hand and then says hurts, doesn't it? That's because you're in my world now, bitch. So here, Freddy is the bitch. And I'm guessing that's supposed to be a big cheering line. Now, you were in a room full of people at a midnight show. Did the audience cheer after she said that? I live in the Midwest. They don't cheer for anything, but they applaud projectionists at the end. Okay. There was a lot of laughter, and I don't mean laughing at it. I mean laughing with it. Enjoying. Yeah, okay. Because a lot of us went, oh, during the prison scene when he got burst through the chest there. And also the throat slitting in the beginning of the movie. A bunch of us went, whoa, like affected by it. But not here with the bitch line, which I thought would be a big crowd-pleasing line, or at least they thought it was going to be. It didn't play that way to me. And then they slit his throat. Very graphic. Very cool. Cool. I don't even remember this. This is what's so funny. Is like already a couple hours after seeing this movie, I don't even remember. I'm like, yeah, he falls over or something. I don't know. Yeah, they slit his throat and you see like all the tendons and all the. Uh, I was I was so not into this moment. I just I think I definitely wanted out at this point. I don't remember his whole head. His whole head come off. No, just uh, she didn't s- sever the spine. It just like oh. so. It was like a callback to Dean then. Yeah, it was actually. I didn't put that together, but yes, very much. Mm, okay. And then they do drop during the end cleanup that there's no body of Freddy found. I didn't notice. Yeah, they said no bodies were found inside. What I found interesting is they started the fire before leaving the building, and then they're choking as they leave. <laughs> <laughs> Bad planning. I would think that you would learn from Quentin's dad, you throw the fire from outside the building. And finally, we get our final scare. Everything's supposed to be over. And here's something I noticed that was kind of funny. There, Nancy and her mother go home, and there's this final shot where they're all reconciling, and there's a mirror there. And I'm like, they're going to get the camera in the mirror if they're not careful. Well, that's a poorly placed mirror. I had, I had no clue that that would be the source of the extra scare. I'm just like, how are they keeping the camera out of the mirror? And then, of course, Freddy pops up in the mirror, stabs the mom through the eyes. The third time I thought this movie thought it was in 3D. You know, again, we talked about earlier about telegraphing when the camera lingers. This is the world's greatest example of that. 
the entire time with that mirror. It was so obvious Freddy was going to pop up in that mirror. The fact that they were going to use this instead of the, the little window in the door to get the mother at the end of the movie, like the first movie, instead of use the mirror here, I thought that was a nice touch, the way he, she killed him with the CGI. You want to talk about obvious CGI, here's a place to do it. But again, I thought it was a fun little moment in this movie's second half when they actually get her through the mirror there. So that one death, although it looked a little cheesy, it was certainly a smile-inducing one, finally, at the second half of this movie. It's not particularly different from what they did in the original movie. I mean, right. yes, it's, they spent more money, but it's the same kind of grab, like, oh, he's going to come back and kill the mom. Yeah, I mean, it is, a, again, right out of the first movie, but I liked it. They caught me off guard because maybe it was because it was late, but I knew there would be some end thing, but I kind of thought that it would be more subtle. I didn't think it would be stabbing the mom through the eyes. I thought it would be like they did in part three with the flipping of the light or part four with the reflection in the pool. I thought it would be something minor to let us know Freddy's still out there. I did not expect Freddy to show up and poke the mother's eyes out. I was just glad that it wasn't all a dream. I really yeah. kind of expected, because so much of it was taken from the first one, that when all was said and done, Nancy was going to wake up, and there was Dean and Chris and all of them, all happy and together. And I, I never thought that was going to happen. Really? You thought that was a potential? How much of this was out of the first movie? Yes, I absolutely thought that was a potential, and I was glad they didn't do it. Mm, that would have uh, that would have surprised me, but I, I, I can see what you're saying. It wasn't like it wasn't in the first movie. I'm not, I'm not pulling this shit out of my ass here. No, no, but... I couldn't tell you where I thought the movie would end, but I was disappointed that my theory about what the movie could have been was not the case. And, oh, great, we're just going to have this. I mean, where's this series going? Really? Like, he's going to keep coming back? I mean, I I've seen enough horror movies to know they the filmmakers will milk it until there's no more coin in this. But there's no obvious trajectory for where a story could be built from from this point on what well, was there from the original nightmare on elm street not really it kind of had a similar ending and it was supposed to be a standalone movie they've already established that all the kids that were affected by this guy in this particular movie and why he's killing these kids everyone's dead but quentin not everyone everyone is dead but quentin I, and her i didn't think she x'd off all the names on the thing i just thought she x'd off most of them i thought i was i thought they said she, all of them are dead except that well, they're still her and Quentin. They could do, you know, the Halloween 2-2 thing where right. it's her and Quentin against Freddy again. Well, no, I mean the new Halloween 2, not the old good Halloween 2. I don't think they're going to make another one. I'm going to predict something right here. Big opening weekend, quick fall. Admittedly, Platinum Dunes killed Friday the 13th. They, they, after, despite making oodles of money, you guys both know they're not making the sequel now. It is shelved indefinitely because basically, I mean, the producer or director, one of them came out and said, yeah, we kind of pissed off the fans. And despite making a lot of money, this movie didn't quite work out the way we thought. And so we're just not going to do anymore. There could be other reasons, too. I always suspect that there, it's about the money and maybe there's just too many hands in the pot uh that get a take on it that piss people off i don't paramount still owns something yeah who knows the reasons why but yes platinum dunes has not had a success as many of these classic horror slasher characters as they've rebooted they only go about a movie or two and it's over it's the only one they've made a sequel to was the texas chainsaw massacre and <laughs> <laughs> They've already sold the goods in Lionsgate. If they ever make another one, it won't be done by them. 
Yeah, so that's the only one that they've successfully gotten to the second stage, and I guess successful is a subjective term in this regard. We can discuss that whenever we should do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I agree. So, Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend A Nightmare on Elm Street? Stuart. Well, I think it's pretty clear that I don't. What are my final thoughts about why? I can't put it any better than I already have. I didn't have fun. I wasn't scared. And I could have gone with a scary Freddy. I could have gone with a perverted Freddy if you had dramatically asked me to go there. And the movie kind of wants to have it both ways. It wants to still have a character that is a connection, a, a touching point for a new generation of fans. I'm, I'm willing to bet that if those girls that didn't know who Freddy were, were aren't really that interested in him. I don't think that they remade the movie honorably. I don't think that you would want to know more if this was your entry point into the series. And consequently, it, tell, it retells the story too much for the old fans to do anything other than be like, yeah, we've, we've done that. I remember this in the original. And I guess I'm I'm just partisan that way. I, I preferred it in the original. I didn't need a CGI cleaned up remake. Arnie. Stuart, would I be correct, would you think, in saying that with horror, by and large, you prefer everything made in the 70s and 80s to everything made in the 90s and beyond? Uh, I, uh, we'd have to go through every horror movie for me to say that for sure. I will say this. How about this? I prefer the aesthetic of 1970s movies in general and horror movies specifically to the aesthetic of the MTV generation. Because I do recommend this film. And I think part of the dissonance that Stuart and I are having, even though I think we very much saw a similar movie, but the reason I come down on the side of recommend is I'm okay with the modern aesthetic of horror. And I've seen a lot of it done really poorly. I mean, God, stay alive, fear.com. I watch all this shit. <laughs> Whenever I can find one to hold on to and I actually have fun watching, I like it. And yes, this is very much a modern horror film. And it's there for the current young audience. It's not there for us. I guess in our mid-30s, we're fogies, guys. It's not for us necessarily. That said, I found a lot there I could hold on to. Is this a perfect movie? No. But it is certainly one of the better installments in this series. I look at it and I would say I put it right there with the original Nightmare on Elm Street, which itself was a flawed film. This one has some pacing problems. This one has some acting problems. And this one has a few writing flubs. But this one also has some good writing, like Brock said, with the epinephrine. You don't, and me with the coma. You don't necessarily see every callback telegraphed a mile away like some screenwriters do. And, I like Jackie's Freddy. I like that he was talkative without being jokey. The only line that really didn't work for me was the wet dream. But all the rest of those lines worked for me as a skeevy malevolence. And I went with it. I like that this is a Freddy who I don't want to be. I don't want to dress up as this Freddy. And for the record, I did not dress up in any way, shape, or form <laughs> for this movie. I, there, I was was a, there was a guy in the 
theater in a red and green sweater, though. He was there in the Freddy sweater, but it wasn't. Okay. Uh, some people have asked. Uh, no, but uh, a couple of our listeners are going to in full costume. A man and his wife are both full Freddying up for the Saturday show. And they're going to be taking it off slowly as the movie begins <laughs> because but, they realize, yeah. oh, this is not a Freddy I want to be associated <laughs> with. But yeah, this is definitely one of the better Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I think it's true to the spirit of the original and I think what they changed works. Where's the sequel going to go? I, I don't know. And will they make one? I don't know. But I enjoyed myself with this one and I was kind of scared going in seeing, you know, just like Metacritic scores that I wouldn't. I had fun and I can recommend this wholeheartedly. But it, still, it's just like a, you know, if I were giving it a letter grade, it's kind of a B-minus-ish kind of film. But it still falls firmly in recommend. And, you know, I mentioned it during the course of the review here. This movie had me, and then it lost me. The first half of this movie, the first 45 minutes, I was with it. I was having fun. It, it had me. I, I liked what they were doing. I liked the choices. I liked the pacing. I liked the kills. I liked that they were remaking the movie in the modern day. I liked a lot of the choices the movie was making. And then as the movie went on and Freddy talked more and the craziness started happening and I stopped caring big time. I think I wanted even a scarier Freddy than they gave me here. I didn't like Freddy all that much. I wanted to like him more. Not like him as be a fan of Freddy, but like what the character is in this movie. Like who the villain is in this movie. Because I found it very yeah, And that's a shame because, again, still here, folks. The potential of this particular character has not been fulfilled yet. And maybe in the sequels they can do that. But here, with this actor especially, I think they missed an opportunity again. So much like Arnie just said about the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, one of my big complaints about that first movie was exactly what I just said, and this movie didn't change a thing about that, which is sad. So I kind of am going to be more on the side of recommend here, but again, like the first Nightmare on Elm Street, it's a very weak, weak recommendation. Because although I did like half of it, but eh, so... That's where I am. I cannot give a weaker recommendation than I'm giving now, but I can't not recommend it. So to those keeping score in the forums and on Facebook, I know there have been some betting pools going on. That's two recommends, although neither of them overly enthusiastic, and one not recommend, but also not overly enthusiastic. And I want to point out, I recommended Rob Zombie's reboot, even though I didn't totally go with it, but I appreciated the contrast with the original and this one. I, I don't appreciate the contrast between the original and the new Nightmare on Elm Street. I think that in every capacity, the original movie outdoes it and outshines it. Okay. Now, this brings us to the end of the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and I gotta say I'm a little sad to see it go. It's one of my all-time favorite movie series and tier. But looking back... We've done a lot of horror films on Now Playing Now, to the point that some consider us a horror podcast. The three of us have specifically done Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Nightmare on Elm Street, the trifecta of 80s slashers. Which is your favorite? Slasher or movie series? Movie series. And and if they, I don't see how those two could be different, but if they're different, then both, I guess. I figured your favorite slasher would be your favorite movie series. I, I suppose that's true, although I would say Freddy is the one that has the most potential and promise. He is the one that could probably take the other two, should they ever do Freddy versus Jason versus Michael. But we're talking about quality. We're talking about my enjoyment and my relationship with the series. That's an easy one. Real easy. Halloween. 
I saw that movie at a pivotal age. I think the first Halloween is the best one. I think it influenced the other two. I don't think the other two movies would exist without Halloween. And even though it hits some low lows, I think there are more high points in the whole series of Halloween than there are in the other two. Nightmare on Elm Street, I guess if I were to rank them, it's three way up top. Freddy versus Jason as a fun recommend. And then a whole lot of sliding down into not sure. Uh, the first one I would give a pass to. Probably this new one would be right afterwards. Wouldn't give a pass to. Four, five, and six. I think I recommended six if you thought if you liked Funny Freddy. But truly, n- none of those three were ones that I enjoyed very much. And two and New Nightmare, I've said my piece. I'm really happy I've been able to watch these series with you guys because... I am the complete noob on all this, and I really feel I have a, an opinion on these now. But to, to say which one's my favorite, the thing is this. The best movie of all the movies we've watched of all of these series is original Halloween. There's no question about it. That thing is just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. It's so much fun to watch. It's so much fun to watch. But the sequels... Some of those sequels are just some of the worst movies we've watched at all of all time. Uh, uh, I don't know that is any sequel in Halloween is worse than some of these ones. And and Jason goes to Manhattan. Oh, Jason goes to Manhattan is the worst. But I'm saying that I don't know. Busta Rhymes really fucked up Halloween. It was really (laughs) bad, man. I mean, there's some stuff, and these are I mean, they go clunkers. They go clunker town. I mean, really bad. So which is my favorite series? I can't say. I really can't because I can't I, – I, I have none of these are my favorites. But I can't answer that question. I don't have a favorite. I have liked films in all of the series. But the one I wouldn't go back to and watch all of his movies for again, none of them. I mean I, I really enjoyed watching the first Halloween. I like to watch the original Friday the 13th the third time or a fourth time someday. And I could watch Dream Warriors again, I guess. But I was very disappointed in the Nightmare series. After especially seeing that preview of it in Freddy vs. Jason, we were doing the Friday the 13th series and getting so high on Freddy, to see all that potential pissed away as the movies went on, I got so disappointed in the series overall. So I can't – I love that you love this series so much, Arnie, but I can't back you on it. It's not mine. There's at least – there's at least better highs. I'm, the series I'm going to totally dog is Friday the 13th. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I don't think any of them are very good. There are some that are guilty pleasures, but none that, none that are good movies. And I do think Nightmare and Halloween have good movies in them. Okay. And my thing is, I judge all of these series for what they are, not what they could be. You know, Brock, it sounds like you're disappointed that Nightmare never became what you wanted, but what it is, I think, is pretty good. I think it's got the most imagination of all of the series, because the other two are guys who don't talk stalking you in the real world. Yeah, yawn. You know, Halloween is a very well-done film, very well-made. I like Halloween 1 and 2 and the remake of Halloween 1. And I think the rest are are, are just snoozers. Uh, except for Halloween 3. How can you snooze through such a laugh riot? They, every series goes totally off the rails. <laughs> With Nightmare, it's New Nightmare. With Halloween, it's Halloween Season of the Witch. And with Friday the 13th, Jason in Space has got to take the cake on that. So they all kind of lose their fucking mind at one point or another. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Overall, though, and again, much for the same reason I think Stuart's standing by Halloween. While I do agree Halloween is singularly more artistic than possibly anything in the entire Freddy series, I gotta stand by Nightmare on Elm Street as overall the strongest series. Because I don't know that, you know, what, oh god, I gotta take Wes Craven's new Nightmare into account, don't I? I keep dis- 
just not counting that as a Freddy movie. I guess it is. I guess I have to count it. So I guess it does have as low a low as the others. But overall, it's if I were to average, you know, if I were to give these one star to five stars and average them, Nightmare on Elm Street by far will come out with the highest mean average rating. And I'll pick Freddy as my favorite slasher for the same reason that Stuart picks Michael Myers. He, he was my first. He was who I grew up with, you know, and he's the one who I'm most attached to. That said, I think I judged the new movie completely honestly. It was not clouded by my nostalgia because it wasn't Robert England. Had it been Robert England, different story. It very well could have been clouded by nostalgia. The potential of Freddy Krueger is still there, and it still could be great. I have to agree with you, though. If you want to mean all the films together, yeah, I think Freddy's cumulative average will be higher, but we're still talking pretty low numbers there. You're right. Freddy has yet to be perfect. Yeah, and it's a shame because of all these characters, he is the one that could be the one. Yeah, while the other two are kind of like, you know, your average C students, he's the one who has the potential but kind of slacks off. (laughs) An underachiever. Now, what about the Nightmare on Elm Street series? What's your, uh, Stuart ranked his films in the series. Brock, what are yours? Your favorites and your worst? I would have to go with number three, of course. That is the most fun to watch. It really is. And my least favorite of the Nightmare series was the Looney Tunes one. The Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I believe I liked that one the least. I didn't like New Nightmare, but I appreciated they tried something different. But the new, the Freddy's Dead one was just, I, I didn't enjoy that as much. Number five was pretty stinking bad, too, though. I didn't like number five at all. I have to say, three is my favorite, with Freddy vs. Jason close behind. Oh, yeah, it's good. That's a good one. And uh, New Nightmare, just, just, uh, that's the one I just, I, I wish it didn't come with the box set. It's, it's the crystal skull of the Nightmare on Elm Street series for me. Finally, let's look at this remake. We've seen a lot of, you know, we, we've gone into all of these series because of a reboot. We, Friday the 13th got rebooted, Nightmare on Elm Street got rebooted, Halloween got rebooted. Which got rebooted best? Halloween. I guess of the three choices, I'm going to have to go with the Halloween, even though I wasn't overall 100% gung-ho about that one either, As I and you can hear that on the podcast. Uh, I think of the three of them, that one had a vision that he was going for, and whether or not I agree with it 100%, at least he had a point of view on it, and, yes. and he did do some stuff on it. And I don't have to agree with the director's point of view on a movie, but I have to applaud that the man had one, and good for him. He had, I he felt made, like I didn't feel like the Halloween reboot was compromised. I definitely felt like Friday the Thirteenth was compromised. Yeah, it, and and inconsequential to boot. And this one, I felt like what it could be is a is a far cry from what it actually is. I agree with you both. Halloween's the best remake. This well, this doesn't measure up to Halloween. I think a lot of that has to do with the cast. I think that for Halloween, they had a wonderful, wonderful cast from start to finish. And Sherry Moon. Sherry Moon zombie. All right. Okay. From from middle to finish. <laughs> Everybody but Sherry Moon was great. Uh, and I, I love Malcolm McDowell in it. I actually think Tyler Maine did a wonderful job in it. He had the presence. I liked who they got as Laurie. I, I like the Halloween remake. It, it's just so well done. I think the Halloween remake outshines the original in my mind in many ways. So I can't say that this Nightmare on Elm Street outshines the original. It's about the same as the original. So no, I don't think that this is the end-all be-all of remakes. I'd say it's about as good as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which I really like. 
All right, then I'm throwing down the gauntlet. We need to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I like the original and I don't like Platinum Dunes, and I'm willing to stare down all the films and fight you on that. So you, let's get on me, it. Brock, October. Done. What do you Be say? There. All right, <laughs> it, we're all right. We're deciding this now. Texas Chainsaw for Halloween. Yes. All right. All Fine, right. I'm there. I haven't seen them yet. Not at all. Let's do it. All right. Yep. So it's a date. And now we have one final bit of business. <laughs> oh God! Because this podcast is not long enough. <laughs> the last song from Freddie's greatest hits. It's called Elm Street Dreams. Okay. It's an original, I take it. Yeah, it's some. All right, let's do it. Oh, a xylophone. I honestly <laughs> thought I had to go back and play the NES game, Stuart. I thought this might be the score to the NES game. Wait, you mean it's an instrumental? Yes, this whole thing's an instrumental. You're kidding. <laughs> and... Yeah, I, well, I thought it was the score to the freaking game. Because don't you oh, remember? Wait, we're, we're, we're here. We're missing an opportunity. Dreams are not reality. I'm going to have a singing career. This is it. This is my big break. Make up your own lyrics. Dreams are not reality. What's it? What's the title of the song? Elm Street Dreams. When you're Elm Street dreaming, when you're Elm Street, oh <laughs> shit, Elm Street, Elm Street, Elm Street dreams, <laughs> what a disappointing final song. How, why do you end discs and records with like their worst? And why would you go instrumental with this Elm Street group? Did they? I don't get this at all. Well, they were paid by the word. <laughs> yeah. Part of it was there was sounding like a montage from Rocky, and the other part now sounds like the inspirational love theme. And what we're into now is the moody, brooding section of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit sexy. All right, it's a, it's not a bit sexy, but it's trying. It's thinking about it. It just this sounds like MIDI. This really sounds like the soundtrack to Double Dragon or something. You know, anything off your NES. Oh God. I don't know why you wish wouldn't make up words. Like it's not like "Don't Dream" was a, a Grammy winner, you know. Like I said, it just I on the spot you could have, you could have had that girl say something. This thing is all not, improvised, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's not, it's not like he's Kenny G. I mean, he's not even Kenny Z. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is and this was. Again, around the time of Nightmare 4, they could have included Freddy's Nightmares theme for this last track or something. I'm sure it had to be. Too much money. (laughs) Now it sounds like a power ballad. Yeah, it feels like a it feels like a track that wasn't done. Like we had to get this disc out to the store at the end of the week. And we were working on this song, and we just said, screw it. We're Elm Street dreaming. Whoa. Yeah, this could be like a theme to the, the, the Freddy's Nightmare spinoff where he becomes a cop. <laughs> Elm Street <laughs> Nights, like Baywatch Nights. Yeah, Elm yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he patrols Springwood now and kind of keeps the peace. And there's Sorry, a love. Yeah. <laughs> Heather, uh... What's her name? Heather, what's her girl from um, T.J. Hooker? What's her name? 
Oh, Locklear. Playing Nancy? No, playing playing the, the, the rookie cop next to the cop Freddy. And then all of a sudden right here, she turns around, her hair flips, and she smiles to the camera. <laughs> yeah, this does kind of have a TJ Hooker-ish vibe. Magnum P.I., you pick the 80s staple of your choice. Magnum P.I. had a kick-ass theme song, though. Hey, what about, you know, Freddy and the A-Team? If you, got a, if you got a dream, and no one else can wake you up, and if you can find them. And we thought that was an instrumental. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> well, that's over. Thank yeah, goodness. I know. I kind of wish they'd saved Wooly Bully for the end. Freddy's greatest hits? Should be a question. You no, know, I was once at a record store and they had Millie Vanilli's greatest hits, and they only put out one album. So I suppose that this counts too. I guess. Did they actually <laughs> remove tracks from that one album for the greatest hits? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's late. We're tired. So we're going to take a couple of weeks off. Oh, thank goodness. But we're going to be back in two weeks. Oh, thank goodness. And we're going to wax on the Karate Kid. Oh, yes. We're going to talk about all four movies of the Karate Kid franchise. This includes the next Karate Kid, but not the Karate Dog. It's not actually part of the franchise, even though Pat Morita's in it. Thank goodness, for that matter. I have to add, thank goodness. And not doing a happy days with this either, folks, in case you were wondering. <laughs> but we will be doing all four movies in the Karate Kid franchise in anticipation of the new one starring Jaden Smith and Jackie Chan coming to theaters this June. We've got a great summer planned. We took last summer off, if you recall. This summer, no rest for the wicked. After Karate Kid, we're going to be going straight into Predators. After Predators, the new movie Adjustment Bureau is opening in September. That's based on a novella by Philip K. Dick. So we'll be doing the entire Philip K. Dick series, including Blade Runner, Total Recall. You can Wikipedia him if you don't know the rest. Minority I don't. Report. <laughs> Minority, Minority Report. report. Screamers. Screamers, yes. The other not-so-big one. <laughs> and then, how could I forget the biggest summer movie, Christopher Nolan's follow-up to The Dark Knight, will be doing a one-off for Inception, because Stuart just can't get enough DiCaprio. He demanded we do Inception. I'm telling you guys, this is going to be the movie of the summer. There is no sequel that is going to hold a candle to this movie. My wife's just going to kneecap you for making her watch more DiCaprio. I'm a big Nolan fan. I know he's going to deliver. This movie looks crazy good. Yeah, we're, gonna right now. <laughs> we're not doing a Christopher Nolan retrospective. I want to put, put it out there. We're just seeing the one movie. We'll get to Batman some other day, I hope. And also, Stuart, we're going to be at San Diego Comic-Con, and we'll be having a meet-and-greet that Saturday night at the Yard House. We're going to post all the details on Facebook, on Twitter, and in the forums. So if you want to meet us, you can come and have a beer at the Yard House with us. Please, no Freddies. You know how I feel about that costume. Especially no burnt wiener-grabbing Freddies, please. <laughs> <laughs> Did you need to say that? Have you met our audience? This isn't my first meet and greet. This ain't my first rodeo, Stuart. <laughs> well, I'm definitely intrigued if, if, uh, if that it's was Comic Con. A, was... If they're not in costume, we're doing something wrong. Mm hmm. Fair, fun. All right. Well, then come as you are, and I will deal. 
And then we've got some more things planned, and we just promised Texas Chainsaw in October. So stay tuned to NowPlayingPodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Come to our forums. Links to all that are on NowPlayingPodcast.com. And Brock, I'm stealing your shit here. You, you know what's cool, dude? It's cool. I, can, I, can <laughs> I always... didn't mean to do that. <laughs> I, it's, you know what, though? I've been doing it for, you know, I, I was micro-sleeping, so it's okay. <laughs> Yeah. I, you know, I also want to recommend if you did like this show or this entire series, in fact, please leave a positive review for us on iTunes so other people like yourselves can find us for our next series because that really does make a difference on iTunes. So please leave that positive review for us. If it's not a positive review, thanks for listening, but tell us about it on the forums. Don't put it on <laughs> iTunes. All right. So thank you very much for listening to our entire Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. Stuart, Arnie, honestly, I am really, really happy to have been a part of this one. This is the series I was looking forward to the most after watching Friday the 13th. And uh, the three of us on this one together what was an education. So thanks very much. I, it was a great f- time. and I'm looking forward to now the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Me too. I'm going to be sharpening my tools. I'm going to be eating some human flesh. Well, well, join us here in a couple of weeks for our first episode of The Karate Kid. Until then, folks, whatever you do, don't fall asleep, dude. Thank you for listening to our Nightmare on Elm Street retrospective. But there's so much more to learn. Keep coming to NowPlayingPodcast.com every week to get the latest episode. Oh, yeah. Great to be back in business. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, stop by our forums to post your thoughts on this series. You can also find us on Twitter as NowPlayingPod or our NowPlayingPodcast fan page on Facebook. Links to the forums, Facebook, and Twitter pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Next time, don't don't stay away so long. A Nightmare on Elm Street is copyright and trademarked New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers Entertainment. You can do God what it takes. (laughs) Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers Entertainment, or Platinum Dunes. I am eternal now playing is a venganza media production copyright 2010 all rights reserved Do we do do we do plot summaries? Oh, I forgot. Yes, we do plot summaries. Okay. Yeah, I think I think we need to cut down on the movie experience. What were you eating? Jujubees or raisinets? <laughs> did you put your feet up in front of you, or did you put it on top of the right. next? Yeah. The next... The, because I was taking notes on my iPhone, the bitch who worked at the thing as like guard to see if you put your feet up stood three feet from me, staring at me the whole last quarter of the movie. How about maybe that? She, maybe she Mike... wanted to pick you up because you're the oldest person in the theater. Maybe she's like, I can she get was older... probably sixteen. 
I would be Jackie oh. Earl Haley in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about a Nightmare on Elm Street, folks. We're here to talk about that. Arnie, why don't we start with a plot summary? Crickets. <laughs> or not. You don't have hold to. On, hold on, <laughs> right. Because what's this movie about? We've only seen eight of them before. <laughs> hold on. I always need a start. And when it, when Who's this him? Freddy guy? I don't know. <laughs> Is it going to be one of those nights? Where's this mm-hmm. hockey mask? I was so confused. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I bring up their credits is because A, it's a waste of time, and B, not, not not the podcast time, it was a waste of time on the screen. They should have used that time for something theatrical. We'll I call back to our Star Trek. I live long and prosper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot that that wasn't a part of that, like, oh, the dude line. That, wait, that wasn't, that wasn't this one, was it? I have to say, I got worried because I can often judge if I've picked the right movie to go see by the trailers they show before it. And if the trailers they show before it interest me, then I usually know I'm going to enjoy the movie. And the first trailer was for Step Up 3D. I saw the same trailer. And I'm sitting there going, fuck me. (laughs) Just fuck me. This is going to suck. Please tell me why you have to have step in 3D. I mean, what is the is the dance moves going to fly off the screen? Hey, I want him in my grill. (laughs) <laughs> well I mean, we can talk about all of that when we do the retrospective yes oh, the step up retrospective coming this fall <laughs> absolutely wait for it folks just keep